0: Uh, welcome, everyone, to this uh, Student Midwife Experience Festival. My name's Neil Stewart. I'm the Editorial Director at the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. We go to our first presentation, which is from um, Fran McConville, who is the Midwifery Advisor to the World Health Organization. Um, I have to admit that I'm a bit of a Fran fan. I think I first heard her speak about two, two two and a half years ago at a big uh, midwifery Uh, birth conference in the Lake District, and the work that she has been doing in the WHO with her colleagues, which uh, helped initiate the year of the nurse and the midwife, but we know it was really the year of the midwife, uh, was absolutely extraordinary. And there are a few times in my long career when I'm really gobsmacked by some of the statistics that are put up on a PowerPoint presentation, but I think three or four times uh, Fran McConville knocked me off my chair. And it's obvious that uh, she and her colleagues have managed to do that with health ministers around the world. Um, So I'm very much looking forward uh, to Fran's comments. I hope all of you that uh, have any ambition to work internationally will take this in. But uh, it is a remarkable track record of uh, uh, changing the world that I think is at the feet of Fran and her colleagues. With that mild introduction, uh, Fran, the screen is yours.
1: Well, Neil, thank you so much. That was very kind of you. Um, But I just want to say hi to everybody. Um, I'm sitting here in the fake WHO uh, cafe uh, with the flags. So greeting from all of us at WHO and a special greeting from the Director General, uh, Ted Ross, who you will have seen on there on the television and in the news, he has nothing but extreme respect for midwives absolutely everywhere. And he really understands your value and how hard you work and just how incredibly um, important you are. And I feel that midwives don't always realize um, that they do save lives and that they are loved and treasured so much. And we don't often have the chance to say that given the circumstances um, that you're working in. So it's a real privilege to be able to Actually talk to students because you are the future. It's not us sitting here um, in WHO, it's you who will take this forward. And really massive greetings to all of you in countries from all around the world, because that is so exciting and really pleased to be able to have you here. So we're going to show a very short film from WaterAid. Some of you may have seen it before, please share it. But I just want, before I go into a roller coaster of information and challenges about global midwifery, Take a deep breath. Imagine being in a really low income, low resource country with a woman who is extremely poor and you really don't have the resources or the education or the support that you need. And this film now, thanks Catherine, if you could put that up, is going to focus um, on um, the the really essential issue of water um, during childbirth. So please enjoy this for a couple of minutes. That film always just reminds me every time that it is the injustices of inequality that are driving us in this work. It is not right that in 2021, this situation um, exists. And I know many of you online will experience that yourself and understand it. So that was the film. Please do watch it, share it. Uh, It's really seriously important. But I just wanted to start with by saying you know, this is the inequality that we're facing and this is the lance of maternal health series in 2016 that globally we have far too much going on you look at the left-hand side and i always hope that that was a much needed cesarean section but in some states in india for example we're getting 73 percent cesarean section rates that is not right and it is dangerous and on the other hand here's a woman somewhere in southeast asia possibly nepal or northern india bangladesh maybe she's not getting any care at all So we have a situation that I never thought that we would get into 30 years ago because we've been trying so hard to improve care and access to care. But actually the quality of care is so appalling that it's now a bigger barrier to reducing mortality than insufficient access to care. So if we look at this slide, this is from the Lancet Global Health Series, um, incredible. If you look at the first arrow, if you look at the blue part of that neonatal death graph, what it shows is that just over half of all neonatal deaths are now taking part, taking place in a facility. So what's the point of coming into a facility if the care is so poor that your baby's going to die in the facility? So we haven't really addressed that issue at all. And if you look at the bottom red where it says maternal disease, which I object to because pregnancy is not a disease, but that's how they classified it. It's the same situation that women are coming into facilities but dying there because of the poor quality of care. And it's a real choice. Do I want to go into a facility where it might die? Why did not I just stay at home? So, you know, we really have to analyze carefully what kind of progress that we have been making. So this is a huge global challenge for us. I'm very glad that both um, Verona and Jackie mentioned the Lancet series of midwifery and that quality maternal newborn care framework because we took from that in WHO we developed this uh, picture I'm about to show that actually quality midwifery education and care improves over 50 health-related outcomes and yet we don't see that that's being applied where there is this poor quality of care. So this is a summary of what we found in in the paper one of the last, you put midwifery in the middle, it helps women survive, thrive, transform communities, societies Mortality is reduced, maternal neonatal stillbirth, infant. I'm not going to read through all of this, but this is in a document I'm about to share. But harm to women and their newborns is reduced. Reduced maternal morbidity, incredibly important. Reduced PPH, eclampsia, reduced newborn preterm birth, low birth weight, hypothermia, hugely reduced by midwives. Improved psychosocial outcomes. Less postnatal depression, less anxiety um, in labour. Much better satisfaction with care, and therefore... This important issue that Jackie pointed out, the better immediate mother-baby reaction. Overall reduction of intervention, that is cost saving, apart from anything else, it reduces infections, so more spontaneous birth, less augmentation, improved public health, breastfeeding, the first and most important public health initiative, reduced smoking, etc., increased referrals for complications. So we have this data, we have to really use it now as policy with our ministries of health, the 194 flags that are are behind me, to make sure everyone understands and sees this. So what we did this year, um, coming out of the year of the nurse midwife, we are continuing to move forward. I like Neil saying it's mostly about the midwife, there was a lot on midwifery, it was brilliant, people did so well. But we developed the third state of the world's midwifery report, which was launched on International Day of the Midwife this year. And this is the Palais de Nation in Geneva, where the 194 member states, which means your Minister of Health from your country and their entourage, if you like, they bring their ministers, their government chief nursing midwifery officers, we hope. Um, but usually they're in teams of 10 to 20, so you can imagine how many people are here, plus all the donors, the Gates Foundation and the Global Fund, etc. And we all come together to talk about what are the health priorities for the future. We haven't been able to meet for two years. We really hope we'll be able to meet. Um, They've happened online, but it's not the same. Standing and talking to those ministers and people is really eye opening and, and world changing. And they set the global agenda for next year. And midwifery has been very, very high on that agenda. Now, what came out of the State of the World's midwifery report was two big things we've been talking about. We don't have enough midwives. We need to train more midwives, train, train. That was quantity. We don't have enough but we weren't talking quality. So there's been a real shift towards the quality, which I'm really pleased to see. Four big headlines. I'm gonna take you through them in a little bit more detail, but education and training, leadership in governments, workforce planning, management, regulation, the things that Jackie and Rona have just talked about, and a really positive environment to work in. And then really, I'm delighted to see this midwife led improvements. Um, We didn't have to fight hard for that. There's a real welcome uh, for that now in many, many countries. So go into the State of the World's Midwifery Report. So it's a must, you'll see all the evidence, you'll see all the findings, you'll see all the data that was collected. It's it's really brilliant. It's on the UNFPA and the WHO website. Their headline is you cannot meet 90% of the need of women and newborns, sexual and reproductive health is not just childbirth, if you're less than 10% of the workforce. So this is what the data showed. If you look at the bottom of those graphs, the darkest blue, is how many midwives we've got. It's pathetic. I mean, it's just, you know, why are we, why is maternal mortality so high? It's just obvious. You just look at this graph. On the left, it's the six regions of the WHO: Africa, Americans, the Eastern Mediterranean, Europe, Southeast Asia, and Western Pacific. And you can see far less midwives than anyone else. And then on the right, it's it's by income. So only eight percent of this workforce are midwives. Um, And we really don't know how much time the others, the nurses and the doctors are spending on midwifery care. So we have a crisis if we want to improve um, our midwifery care. So I put this slide up because it kind of makes me think, why am I putting this slide up? Why are we even asking this question in 2021? Why do we have to explain why we have to invest in midwives? But we do. And that actually doesn't say something about ministries of health and what's going on in other countries. It says something about us. That at last now we have the evidence, but it took the Lancet series to take us forward. And now we've got much more. But we have got to get much better at advocacy based on evidence and not just on passion. Right. There are reasons why we need to do this that are good for ministries of health, good for ministries of finance, good for women, good for newborns, that are good for society. And we need to get much better um, in our advocacy uh, and how we measure that. So this is a very important paper for all students to know and read. It is the latest and most important paper on midwifery that we developed for the State of the World's midwifery report. It's an update to the Lancet series in many ways. It's about the potential impact of midwives. So these are modelled estimates, this is not evidence. In preventing and reducing maternal neonatal mortality, we mustn't forget the stillbirths, they're a very important measure of what is going wrong. Andrea Nove led on this, and, and these are the authors, and please note, It was UNFPA plus WHO plus the ICM plus Burnett Institute and other metrics. We're really working together much better and more than we ever have done before. It's a joy now to work with all our partners. So what we did was identified 31 midwife delivered interventions that directed uh, directly affected mortality nutrition based on the global strategy for women, children, adolescent health. That's a WHO strategy and can be entirely delivered by a midwife. According to the ICM standards, we used a tool called the LIST tool, Life Save tool. It's a, it's a, it's a very um, technical, uh, numerical tool. So I won't go into detail on that, but we repeated it for modest scale up, substantial scale up, universal coverage, and we had to take into account attrition. This is one of the most important slides of 2021. And it's showing how many deaths can be averted if everything is there in place. We have midwives. On the left, you'll see universal health coverage. And Jackie, it was great to hear talk about we want universal coverage in the UK of all women. We could save 4.3 million lives a year by 2035, if that was in place as it is in the UK. You can look at the details yourself. If ministers only go for a 25% increase, which is challenging in countries, most of which do not have a card of midwives. Most countries just don't have the card of midwives that we have in the UK. You could still save 2.2 million lives a year. By 2035 and even if you go i'm just going to go for 10 we're starting from zero you can save 1.3 million lives a year of maternal newborn and stillbirth so i'm going to leave that for you to look at but please do look at this paper it's really important we found that there are four high impact interventions that save most lives and this is where we really have to focus in policy uh, education our faculty training Uh, changing the system. So contraceptives, if midwives could give out oral contraceptives, injectables, long-lasting family planning, we could avert half of all deaths. I came from Somalia before I was in WHO and access to family planning was less than one percent. Is it surprising that so many women and newborns are dying labour? It is crazy that that's what we have. Hypertensive disorder management to prevent stillbirths, antenatal corticosteroids, etc to reduce newborn deaths are very good to see, the new newborn examination, and hypertension screening management, parental role, Most midwives, nurses in most countries are not able to give intramuscular injections. How on earth can they prevent postpartum hemorrhage? They can't even give oxytocin um, and And that's to help reduce maternal death. So we have a lot to do to make sure those high impact interventions are part of the scope of practice. Training is there and they're regulated. It adds confidence this paper to the Lancet series many people questioned it oh that was a one-off that's just midwife no it wasn't that was seriously good research and now we have even more confidence more detail and more context so that all went into the state of the world's midwif report I'm going to take you through now the four challenges if you like and I really want you to have your thinking hats on you're the students you're the future I'm looking to you to see how we take this forward. Uh, We've got to invest, they're all invest, in health workforce planning. There's a huge amount on this. I just want to highlight this slide. Not one out of the 194 countries submitted all of the data. We are so short of data on midwifery and what's going on. The countries that did submit much of the data didn't know the difference, and they couldn't distinguish in their data systems between a professional midwife, an associate, a nurse, a midwife, or a nurse midwife. We don't have those systems. And we don't know who's doing clinical practice, who's in research, and who's in education. Um, and there's no data on how much time nurses and others, doctors, uh, provide to this area. So we need to get much better at that. This is a huge issue. I don't know how to answer this. It's in your hands as the future. But we know most midwives, 93% of women, most nurses are women, and half of doctors who work in this area are women. We need leadership opportunities. We need decent work free from discrimination and harassment. And the gender pay gap has got to come to an end. And so we're talking about gender transformative policies and measures. Now that is huge. It's just such a big topic. But we have to start thinking and raise our voices to what we want. What does that mean for us? It's not what a gender transformative policy means to some guy sitting in some UN agency somewhere, us as midwives, what do we want to change in terms of gender transformative policies where we work? This is the effective regulation slide. I call it ineffective. If you look at the regulation again that Jackie was talking about, only one in three countries globally require relicensing. So you could have trained 30 something years ago and never had to relicense. So you are out of date, out of control and out of knowledge depth. And so we've got to do something to make sure we have continuing professional development and systems um, to enable continuing professional development. I'll let you look at these graphs more. So number two, education and training, absolutely critical. And as students, this is so important for you. If you just look at this, 49 half of, percent, half of all countries have educators who are midwives, which means half of all countries don't have any midwives who are educating midwives. So who's educating them if they're not midwives? And what are they educating them in? 6% of countries have no educators at all that are midwives. So they've been educated by other health professionals. So, you know, we have a huge challenge here to really get back to good quality education and to help midwives. So many times it's like, they don't know how to do this. They are not able to do this. Doctors say, we can't let midwives do that. Guess what? They were never educated to do that or they couldn't have access to clinical sites or they get to clinical sites and there's no preceptorship, etc., etc. So what did we do? This all fed into the SOMI report. In 2019, led by member states, this was Sweden with Malawi, India, um, UK, um, just trying to think of the other countries. We had a whole event, apparently according to the cleaners, the best event that we ever had at the World Health Assembly on launching this a framework for Action for Strengthening Quality Midwifery Education. And I'm really pleased again to say, we, WHO led on this, but we did it with UNFPA, with UNICEF, and with the International Confederation of Midwives. This is a jointly owned uh, document, and we are jointly implementing it globally. Very briefly, as you meet today, 810 women are dying in childbirth. Most of them will be at home and without any pain relief uh, whatsoever. 2.4 million newborns die every year. And every 16 seconds, there has been a stillbirth globally. These are estimates. And this is something that just makes me angry, actually. But one in five women in 2021 are giving birth without any help whatsoever. What does that say about the state of our planet and how much we care for the environment in which women um, are providing the next generations um, for our future? And as I mentioned, educators just don't have those competencies, they don't have materials. And half of all education institutes have no water and no toilets. How could you go to work there? And half of all facilities don't either. So we're, we're looking at really tough, challenging uh, scenarios. However, when I look at this photograph, which is Bangladesh, my heart feels great. I was there in the mid 80s and then again in the early 90s. It was awful. You look here, here's a midwife who knows what she's doing, she's got a companion at birth, the woman is being well cared for, she's allowed to walk, it's clean. Huge progress is being made in countries like Bangladesh. So, you know, huge appreciation to all the midwives who are breaking these boundaries and changing things. Never forget, because we tend to in countries where we're quite okay, that 60% of maternal deaths are taking place in fragile and conflict affected settings. Do you think of Syria, Yemen, all the countries that are in conflicts at the moment, it is desperate. Um, and 5% of newborn mortality. And this is a photograph from Somalia. And you know, even there they have raised midwifery. It's become a great profession. They're doing a master's online course. So even in the most difficult circumstances, we can do something. And midwives are always there. The doctors cannot always be there. So, so you know, Somalia amazing. So we decided to stop just talking about this and again to stop just saying we need a better curriculum. Let's train more midwives. Let's have more curriculum. And we developed a seven step action plan. We put women and newborns in the centre. We didn't put the midwife or the system or the government. Women and newborns and all of our partners. We said we've got to have leadership before we move to the curricula. Let's have senior midwifery leadership and let's have policies that support education. Let's get the data and evidence, not just on maternal deaths and stillbirths, et cetera but we don't really know what's going on about midwifery. Let's build public engagement and advocacy. Let's get doctors on our side. They really are, but they don't know how to do that. Let's get parliamentarians. Let's get women in their communities with us as they have done in New Zealand, for example. And then let's prepare our educational settings. Let's make sure they have water sanitation, that the practice settings are good, that they have clinical mentors. Let's make sure our faculty who haven't had any updates for 30 years Know what they're doing, and then let's look at the standards in countries. And let's—I'm sharing those UK NMC standards with everybody. Let's use standards like that to lift our our, our targets, and then let's develop curricula. In Malawi, they need stuff on uh, PMTCT for malaria, um, TB. Uh, you know, those are the big issues there. M- more die from malaria, TB. And, and HIV than anything else. So we have to adapt our curriculum to, to what we need. Then let's educate. And most importantly, sorry, I'm going the wrong way. We have never monitored, evaluated, or reviewed our midwifery programmes. We cannot budget. We, we, we have just said we need more, but we haven't said, well, how much would that cost? What would the economic gain be? How long will it take? What will our objectives be? So we have to do all of this together, act, monitor, and review. And that cycle I'm not going to go through this in detail you will see this it's to be published this is the first ever global with UNFPA UNICEF ICM results framework for strengthening midwifery education you'll see the seven steps down the left you'll see activities output short-term outcomes long-term outcomes if you just look at the top right if we can strengthen leadership and policy we're looking to increase investment And strengthening international standard midwifery education globally. So at last now, we can start to say, we don't have that, where are we? Let's measure it, let's improve it. And we have programmatic measures. So I'll leave you to look in in detail at those. When it's published, I'll let you know. COVID is still a problem, and I take my hat off to every single one of you who have worked so hard through this and gone way over your ordinary length of day to, to help women and babies. But we have now started to move into five countries to implement the seven steps. The countries, it seems a bit of an odd group, um, but they were chosen by um, by the region, the regional offices, and the criteria that the ministry are interested, we have the capacity to move, and that UNICEF, UNFPA, and ICM are able to support us here. So we're just starting with leadership policy, getting that data and evidence, and on the monitoring, because those are huge issues, and we've got a lot of discussions going on. I just want to share with you some of the really exciting things that have happened just in the last few months. I, I haven't been able to travel yet. I'm hoping that i will actually be able to go and, and support them and work with them. But Pakistan has completely blown me away. No midwives for decades. 80% obstetricians, the 20 other percent don't get anything. So you have a traditional birth attendant or nobody at home, or you have to have money and find an obstetrician. You can imagine what that's like in, in the rural parts of Pakistan. So within weeks of us starting the ministry of health supported by who held a multi-stakeholder meeting and said right we're going to have a national strategy for midwifery for pakistan it's like what this is amazing we're now going to have a card of midwives in pakistan led by ministry private sectors for the first time are really coming aboard recognizing how important it is it's about 50 50 public private but but we're looking for resources from private they're so interested i'm really pleased to say Instead of an expensive consultancy company, it's the Midwifery Association of Pakistan um, that are doing this work for WHO. We're funding them. And some of you will know Dr. Rafat Jan from Pakistan, extraordinary professor at Aga Khan and a hugely influential ministry. She's going to be working with us on that. And they have work plans and incredible work in such a short time by such a few people. Sierra Leone, the other country, they're moving to develop a leadership assessment tool because guess what? We don't know how to assess midwifery leadership. We've been talking about it. So we're getting a group of experts together. We're thinking about what this would look like. We're co-designing this tool across the five countries and it will be shared uh, globally and used, we hope, you know, UNFPA, ICM and our other partners. Also, the Chief Nursing Midwifery Officer of Sierra Leone said, I don't want another situational analysis on midwifery. I want an online tool that I can update every year on what is going on in midwifery. So lots of exciting things happening in Sierra Leone India, many of you will have heard quite a lot of what's happening there. They introduced the midwifery Carder three years ago, a huge launch by the prime minister at the partnership, big global thing. Uh, but the challenges in India are huge also. We've had the, the COVID, as you can imagine, you knew what happened in India. Everything came to a stop, they had to focus on that. But India has about 25 states, it's huge. Each state is about the population of the UK. So there's a focus on six states, very strong min- ministry of health leadership. But a lot going on. So so there have been delays. It's really picking up again now um, after COVID, although that's still an issue, of course. Of course, India has been led by obstetricians for decades and and women expect it and obstetricians expect it to change this to a midwifery led model. It's tough, but it's happening and we're building the confidence of obstetricians in these states. So good stuff. Again, in in a country like India or Nigeria, the government can put out a strategy. States don't have to follow it. So we're having to really look, again, the Indian Nursing Council have accepted the new scope of work just for midwives, which is huge progress, but we don't know that all the states were working in with. So lots of issues um, going, and it's, as you can see, a lot of public-private sector in India as well. So now just onto the third one, and I'm going to keep charging through all of this. Um, how do we look at midwife-led? We, you know, I loved hearing uh, Jackie and Verena talking about um, midwife continuity of care, continuity of carer. I hope all of you have seen this um, Cochrane database uh, systematic review from Jane Sandal led by midwife as well as um, Horace Sultani. And this has been absolutely uh, groundbreaking and is changing huge amount of thinking, certainly in WHO, but amongst any many partners. And as you saw, it's, it was one of the four recommendations. And this is the evidence that showed it. If you look at the evidence at the bottom, this arrow that goes to 24% less likely to experience a preterm birth. Now the challenge for me, is if we could have a vaccine that would prevent 24% of preterm birth, the Global Alliance for Vaccines Initiative, the the Bill and Melinda Gates fund this, hopefully the UK government would throw money at that vaccine to save one in four babies um, from stillbirth. But what we have is midwifery, much more complex relational based in the system. So we're working on how do we now move this forward? This came from high income countries. You can see much greater satisfaction from women. So the first thing we did is we got this recommendation into WHO guidelines. I hope you I hope you know how to find these and where to find them, but, but please do look at them. They've become much more user friendly and women friendly. So we have recommendations of antenatal care for positive pregnancy experience, intrapartum care for positive childbirth experience. I'm really pleased to say that a new postnatal guideline will come out next year for positive postnatal experience for mother and baby. and. We had Sue Down led a huge piece of work with WHO to make sure we had this recommendation on midwife-led care within those guidelines. So it is there. This is the recommendation in which a known midwife or small group of known midwives supports a woman throughout antenatal, postnatal, sorry, childbirth postnatal. But see in red, it's in settings with well-functioning midwifery programs. Now we haven't defined that. And the, the big challenge for us in WHO now is to move forward on this. We want We want our DG to stand up in a couple of years at the World Health Assembly and say, ministers, without a doubt, this is where we need to be going. But we don't have the evidence from low and middle income countries where they don't have what we would call in the UK a well-functioning programme, for example. Not just low and middle income countries, large parts of the US um, and the Americas and and, um, wealthy states in the Middle Eastern region don't have this. Um, so it is a context specific recommendation, we have developed um, a theory of change as to what are the mechanisms behind these fantastic results, we don't really understand why or how it works, we're going out to consultation on that over the next couple of months, and then we will be publishing the theory of change of all the assumptions, you have to have the politics right, society right, the education right, the whole thing has to be there. and. Um, so we, a lot of work on that, and we're doing a review of who's doing what. There's some very interesting work in in in, in other countries now, outside of the um, Cochrane Review coming up, and we hope to have another Cochrane Review on the evidence, but also on implementation. So watch that space. That, that's going to be huge over the next while. I'm just getting to the last one now. Um, on leadership... Oh, sorry, okay, I'm going way over time. I'm going to go through this so fast. Please look at the midwives' voices, midwives' reality. This was 200, 2,500. Midwives responded, we had to stop the survey, but really it's about gender inequality. I won't go through this slide, but you can see the socio-cultural ill, economic and professional barriers um, for midwives, the gender penalty. 37% midwives feel unsafe. This is a really great paper about the tip of the iceberg. Um, You know, what's going on? There's so much violence against female health workers. We have to look underneath. It is about power. You as students now talk about power, gender hierarchies of power, don't be shy. We've got to move this forward. It's out in the open. No more hiding it. When we look at midwives and leadership, everything we see online is about birth, not about research, education, and management. We have a a whole document on... Government Chief Nursing Midwifery Office, we're finding they are isolated, unable to do what they're meant to do. Fantastic, Jackie's going to speak to you later. She's an absolute star and they all look up to her. And this is um, Georgia Carter's in Bolivia as well. But you can see half of them are invisible, don't have a laptop, aren't there at meetings, not seen as part of government. So these are the recommendations. And the one I want you to look at is that it's an element of your education and training. We weren't trained in, in my generation in leadership You're all leaders as students, and your voice must be heard. So really pleased to see that that's part of the new NMC standards as well. Absolutely fantastic. This is a new WHO community of practice. We are connecting people, leaders from Sierra Leone to Malawi to India, to, to let them talk to each other and say, how do I do this PowerPoint? I don't know how to do a budget. Do you know the latest evidence? What can I say to my minister? Support each other. It's the only way forward. We've got the new global strategic directions. Again, education, leadership, service delivery, and jobs coming up. I'm very close to the end. I'm really pleased to say in WHO that the contribution of midwives to global commitments is increasingly recognised. And universal health coverage is the big hot topic now. We've got to reach the most vulnerable and the ones who've been left behind. And midwives are there all the way through in primary health care. And this year is actually the year of the health and care worker. So, again, more focus. I won't go through this slide in detail, but something that's been missing. Again, i was so pleased to hear Jackie and Verena talk about it as human rights. There are four human rights treaties in existence for sexual reproductive maternal newborn and child health. Um, The Convention of the Rights of the Child, Convention on Eliminations of All Forms of Discrimination, the International Covenants on Civil and Political Rights, and Economic, Social and Cultural Rights. All midwives and all women need to know their rights um, to to prevent the mistreatment of women in, in so many places. So I won't go through them, It means that education needs to include this, but we are developing an essential respectful care module, and we talk through all of these um, rights in the form of women. What does it feel like for them? What was their experience? What would you do about it? How can you uphold your rights and their rights? So that's coming soon, so watch that space. Can't finish without mentioning COVID, and, and just always huge respect for everything Midwives have done this year. But the SOMI said, the COVID-19 crisis has exacerbated the global shortage of 900,000 midwives with the health needs of women and newborns being overshadowed, midwifery services being disrupted and midwives being deployed to other services. That has to stop. We started a piece of work which has to be published soon on how we can support education during COVID. We took the seven steps, Mary Renfrew led on this with me uh, and it's me, I'm guilty of not getting this published yet if you look at the bottom, it's about collaboration, leadership, it's about equity, making sure all midwives have access to education during COVID. It's about their safety and the safety of women and newborns. And most of all, it's about a focus on students and students' voices in their education during the COVID. So we've been listening to you and you'll see a lot of that incorporated. My last slide here is please get this app. WHO updates this about two to three times a week. It's completely free. And everything you need to know about COVID and maternal newborn health, sexual reproductive health, is on that app. And I'm going to stop there and thank you for listening to this roller coaster of information. I hope you've got loads of challenges in your head and that you can think about your education as you go forward and really taking on these challenges to help us overcome this injustice and make sure that women aren't being left the way they are um, without care and being mistreated and that there's so much positive about midwifery that we have to get out there. So thanks to all of you and good luck. I'll be thinking of you.
0: So let's move on to our next speaker and really one of the highlights of the day. I'm extremely pleased and delighted, I'm sure on behalf of all of you, uh, to be joined by uh, Jackie Dunkley-Bin, who is the Chief Midwifery Officer for England. And as Fran McConville was saying this morning, Uh, a role model for many uh, senior midwifery leaders around the world, and who has been leading all of uh, midwifery through this extremely difficult period over the past uh, 18, 20 months now. Um, And uh, like the rest of us, I'm sure, is looking forward uh, to something back to normal. Except that uh, Jackie has to try and plan as to what on earth normal will be because she was in the middle of her transformation plan when all this broke out and is aiming to get that back up to speed. So it's with really great pleasure that I welcome Jackie Dunkley then. And Jackie, the screen is yours.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, I'm so excited to be here. I wished it could be in person. I have such a heart for um, student midwives and all those that are developing and growing within our midwifery family. For those who are in schools, thinking about a career in midwifery, for those who are on the journey, for those who have completed the journey, what we do, what we absolutely do, will ripple through generations. Our contact, our narrative counts. And I'm sure many student midwives have heard your midwifery lecturers talk about the fact that what you do will ripple through generations. There are not many professions that can say that. So um, hello, good afternoon to you all. My name's um, Jacqueline Dunkley-Bent and I'm the Chief Midwifery Officer for the NHS in England. So I'm going to move on to the next slide. I just want to say, first of all, before I do anything, I'd like to say thank you. Thank you to you. Thank you to your universities, to the lecturers, to the uh, um, uh, clinical academics, all those people that are supporting supporting you in this space. Your growth is significant. We need you to, to graduate, to join the qualified uh, midwifery family. Um, so a huge thank you. It hasn't been easy during the pandemic. I know it hasn't. For some of you, um, your year two may, may well have been disrupted. Your year three may well have been disrupted in terms of the pandemic. Um, so I just want to say a huge thank you. We have moved forward against the backdrop of fear, against the backdrop of being anxious, being worried, um, all, all manner of feelings culminating in one. Um, I just wanted to show this slide because I just wanted to show you that as the chief midwifery officer, whilst I'm advising at Lofty Heights and supporting policy and everything else and being a leader um, for our services in England, I also work clinically. So this is me, Donned. On a clinical shift, um, starting at the beginning and going way beyond the end, um, because this particular shift was a a water birth in PPE. So I just want you to know that um, I truly believe that to be an authentic leader, I have to walk and step in your shoes. And that's why I frequent uh, clinical practice to do that. So thank you thank you for everything that you have done that you're doing now and that you will continue to do going forward. On to the next slide. So I just want to share with you a few um, uh, items about my ambition as a Chief Midwifery Officer. And the over, over, uh, overriding ambition is that England is the safest place in the world to be pregnant, birth, and transition into parenthood. Also to have a workforce that feels valued, so important, respected and invested in. So that's my overall ambition for maternity care provision in England. And those tables at the bottom, how are we going to achieve Um, uh, that ambition Um, and it's a dynamic process I think but first of all I will say that we need to build capacity within midwifery leadership at a national level regional level and local level what I will say despite all the challenges of the past two years and we're still in the challenge because we have winter to come we have gained momentum with developing a career framework for you so that you might one day aspire to be. So we have at the moment, um, I have uh, two deputy chief midwifery officers. There are seven regional chief midwives. So for those of you that don't know, England is split into seven NHS regions. And we have a regional chief midwife in each region who has a deputy chief midwife. They've just come on board in recent weeks. And there is a regional obstetrician that will contribute to that portfolio, not full time, but part time. So at a regional level, there's a regional chief midwife, a deputy, and a regional obstetrician. And um, so that's just a little example of how we've been growing the infrastructure to provide good leadership for our services. In my office at a national level, we have a, a researcher, A midwife um, called, uh, well, she needs no introduction, Professor Jane Sandall, who is the um, uh, um, head of uh, midwifery and maternity research at NHS England Improvement. We also have Wendy Olewola, who is the National Inequality Lead um, for uh, NHS England, leading on maternity from a woman's perspective, a user's perspective women and people perspective and also a staff perspective and of course um we have jules goodgen who is a joint appointment between my office and nhs digital to lead on digital maternity so that's just a little example of building an infrastructure but we also are in the place of um uh, supporting heads and directors of midwifery and other aspirant leaders and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about them later, but the second building block is about improving perceptions and don't we need to improve the perceptions of our amazing profession least of all to the public and the press. I get a little bit tired of negative headlines about maternity when I can see the amazing work that's being done to care for and to support women and their families um, uh, on their birthing journey. And naturally, it goes without saying quality and safety. Everything that we're doing is predicated by that quality and safety agenda. So moving on to the next slide, Now that was my, they are still, that is still my ambition, of course it is, but who would have thought that on the 30th of January 2020, this was going to land on our doorsteps and on the 11th of March, we enter into territory that nobody Well, I've never entered that kind of territory in the course of my lifetime and my working life in the NHS. And you have felt it like I have too. And sadly, we've lost some midwives along the way and we've lost women along pregnant women and people along the way too. Everybody gets scared some of the times. I've been scared too. But together, it creates a different picture. So onto the next slide, onto the challenges. So we've had many challenges, and I've shared a few of them already with you, that the the pandemic was announced, and that meant that we had um, sickness because of the pandemic. We had uh, 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 people that that were shielding. Um, We had, and still are having death, the fear, We had to suspend some of our services, home birth services were suspended, midwifery led services were suspended and some freestanding midwifery units uh, temporarily closed their doors. And that meant that sadly, many women lost choice of place of birth. But the overwhelming um, ambition was to keep people safe. So we had to pull staff together it was the only way. And I trust our leaders implicitly with how they've managed that process. We had to deal with the headlines of the visiting restrictions. Some of you may well remember the Mail on Sunday, um, seven weeks of negative press about us not allowing visitors in maternity services. And actually, the truth is, is, is that every woman was able to have their partner or their husband uh, or every uh, um, uh, uh, everybody, regardless of um, whether they were female or identified as female or not, were allowed to have their partners with them during um, established labor. And then in more recent times, visiting restrictions have been lifted, but the headlines were not kind. Uh, We had to suspend and change our trajectories for the MTP, which is the Maternity Transformation Programme, the vehicle that's delivering the Better Births report. We had to change some of our um, ambitions with regard to the long term plan, particularly the mental health provision and the pelvic health provision. They're two key items that I lead on that will really help in terms of women's health and perinatal mental health. Uh, many of us were working clinically. We, in the middle of all that, I had to give evidence along with Matthew Jolly, the National Clinical Director, to the Health and Social Care Committee, um, who were uh, undertaking an inquiry into maternity safety. We had to give evidence twice, and then a third time to their specialist committee, in, against the backdrop of the Afghani um, Afghanistan resettlement program, where we had pr- uh, pregnant women from Afghanistan that we had to support and continue to. To support is the right thing to do we had the fuel crises where community midwives were struggling with diesel and that's against the backdrop of the vaccine hesitancy the conspiracy theories etc etc i could go on and i'll speak to you a little bit about vaccinations as we progress and we have winter and flu but despite all that you know, we are doing, you are doing a, a, a phenomenal job at supporting women, people, babies and their families right now in this space. On to the next slide. We have challenges in relation to inequality um, and this is no news to many of you. So if we can just point to the fact that maternal mortality, um, yes, we are doing better, however, rates are high for black mixed ethnicity and Asian uh, women stillbirths uh, we're doing well in in terms of our reduction to meet the 2025 ambition Uh, but we need to work harder for these groups that you can see here neonatal mortality we're doing well but rates are high and increasing for black and Asian babies, so we have much to do, and we are doing much in this space despite the pandemic. On to the next slide. And just a moment of pause, you may well have seen this already, but it's really, really important to know the difference between the two. And with regard to equity, that's the space that we want to be in. We want everybody to have the same outcomes as those who have the best outcomes and experiences. So to achieve that, we need to do something a little bit differently. And look at that little one in the purple jersey on the right. We are doing something differently in England for women who experience the worst outcomes. And I'll share a little bit more shortly. Next slide. So this is taken directly from UCOS. You can find this on the Embrace uh, website. Just have a look at the uh, the figure of the woman um, on the right. So first wave, we had uh, nine women uh, that died as a result of COVID. Second wave, it increased to 11, and we continue to increase. We only had the JCVI authorized vaccinations for pregnant women in spring this year. So we are catching up and we have a lot to do, but we know that the Delta variant um, uh, is quite challenging for pregnant women in that particularly in the third trimester and we have evidence from the UCOS that shows that in a cohort sample of um, 171 women at one point all um, were 171 women pregnant in hospital uh, sick um, with the delta variant all but three have not been vaccinated and of the three that were vaccinated, they'd only received a single vaccine. So the point we're making is the majority of women in hospital pregnant on ECMO um, have not had a vaccine, which gives some credence to the fact that the vaccine provides protective effect for pregnant mums and their babies and, and people. And therefore, we are encouraging uh, women to have an informed conversation about vaccine uptake so that they can make an informed decision following the jcvi guidance and indeed the royal college of obstetrics and gynaecology guidance on to the next slide globally again i'm cantering around the world here in in the pandemic globally of course we have much to do and i just want you as students just to be mindful that, that for every challenge and problem we have here Just have a look at the global picture. Progress has been uneven to many, um, um, and they're still being left behind. We have on uh, 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 circa 810 maternal deaths every day, and one stillbirth every 16 seconds. 2.4 million newborn deaths each year, and one in five women give birth without one of you. So I know this is relative, but every life, wherever they happen to be, is significant, is absolutely significant. So we have much to do, not just here, but globally. Are we challenged here? Yes, we are, and I've shown you data with regards to the inequality piece. Have a look further afield, we have much to do. And onto the next slide this is really a moment of pause and reflection and all of you as you're forging your way in terms of your um, student uh, midwifery career thinking about what you'd like to do when you qualify some of you may well end up in other countries supporting. I frequent um, uh, international travel this is um, at a conference in Abuja uh, in West Africa and uh, I was supporting qualified midwives on their CPD journey. And I know that quote from Mariangelo, absolutely. There's something about how we make people feel, the stuff that you do every day, every time you make contact with a woman, with a person, with babies and their families. There is something about how you make them feel that is remembered. So on to the next slide, what are we doing with all of the above? What have we done? You know, I, I could spend an awful lot of time going into detail, but you can see here we have been responsive um, to uh, uh, women and their families. One of the most um, one of the um, most challenging uh, things about the pandemic for me as semi-doe, was the negative narrative about maternity and women staying away because they were fearful. So um, that meant that when they engaged with maternity services, sometimes, you know, there was fetal demise, it was too late and the outcomes were not what one would have expected. So really, really important to step in that space of engaging with women, encouraging them to join with us and receive Uh, maternity care, the four point plan that you can see there, I think it's bullet point um, number five or or six, Uh, this four point plan was really to try and reach out to those who have the worst outcomes and encourage them through their healthcare professionals through you, through the midwives to support them in a different way, lower the threshold for referral and treatment. Um, So moving on to the next slide. What are we doing in this space for you, for us, for our people, for our family at this challenging time? Despite the negativity, despite the concerns and complaints from every single platform I can imagine and think of, my Viber, my WhatsApp, my LinkedIn direct message, Twitter direct message, um, ordinary message, email, voicemail, all full with concerns um, challenges and I will say to you that this is a snapshot um, of what we are doing for our family. For our services, and of course, the previous slide for women, people, babies, and their families. So, funding has been distributed now. We put in a bid, £95 million bid, and we um, to NHS England, and that bought us 1,200 more midwives that are currently being recruited, 100 obstetricians, uh, backfill for MDT training, £52 million. That wasn't a part of the bid, but we've got an additional monies, 52 million pounds for digital maturity. The international recruitment is going well. We have 400 applications are being processed and I think 18 offers, one eight offers have been made, but 400 applications are being processed. This takes time. There is a moral challenge. I know there is about going into other countries and and inviting midwives to work here, but many of these midwives have not got jobs and cannot provide for their families we're working on retention looking at preceptorship for you so when you qualify is there consistency in preceptorship across our maternity services we're also working with partners to address morale concerns in midwifery we have to raise the morale as leaders for those leaders that are on listening today We cannot join in, and I know you know this, um, and you'd stand with me in solidarity. We cannot walk around being all morose saying this is dreadful leading people means that we have to lead with passion and authenticity and do what's right and doing what's right means that we are um, working with partners to raise that morale. Um, The March for midwives, the close Facebook pages, the change.org petition. All these people are now supporting us, supporting me in that attrition piece where also Funding, we have funded services with band seven midwives to help uh, provide some pastoral support for newly qualified midwives and also help with the attrition piece, also supporting the return to practice midwives. So I've asked services, find out where your retirees are and invite them back. Let's not rob Peter to pay Paul by finding a band seven within your service. Let's go externally and see if our retirees will come back and provide some pastoral support. We in recent times, we've worked up a spec. This will be going out to NHS services any day soon to provide additional PMO program management support for our heads, directs of midwifery. So they have time to think and b also we are supporting recruitment of maternity support workers we're going to be funding that that letter is going to be going out soon and also supporting their um, uh, uh, orientation and induction and lastly for all the professional midwifery advocates out in our system we've got 800 in england and we need more i know Thank you to them because they are really working hard to raise the morale they're deploying restorative clinical supervision uh, to really help in that psychological space and in turn, we are training more. And we are offering a psychological boost to all our 800 PMAs in England so that they can offer it to you. And that's just the start of a 10. But moving on very quickly, we have to stay focused. Of course we do. And for that reason, we are looking at how we can continue with our national ambitions. We published Continuity of Carer Guidance a few weeks ago And we have listened to what everybody has said about the unintended consequences. So this guidance starts by saying, we cannot have further rollout of continuity of carer until we have safe staffing in place, engagement with staff and education of staff. They're three key building blocks. So for everybody that's worried and concerned, these are the building blocks that need to be in place before further rollout. But this ambition will not go away. Why? Because it saves lives and it's the right thing to do. On to the next slide. So, um, oh, that was on to the next slide. So, I just would like to say to you. Um, and I'm nearly finishing, and I'm just going to take a moment to pause. This quote I have remembered most days in the last two years. You know that um, Kamala Harris was the 49th President, Vice, oh, vice President of the United States she says, and I I resonate on this most days, my daily challenge to myself is to be part of the solution to be a joyful warrior in the battle for the soul of the country. And I, I add the battle for the soul of our profession, our midwifery profession, the battle will not stop. My challenge to you is to join that effort. Let's not throw up our hands. And there are many throwing up of hands at the moment when it's time to roll up our sleeves because years from now, this moment will pass. It has to pass. And our children, our grandchildren, if you haven't got them and you don't want to ever have them, your friend's children, um, your family's children, grandchildren, they will ask us where we were when the stakes were so high. They will ask us what it was like. And I Don't just want to tell them how we felt. I want to tell them what we did. Really important. Let's not throw up our hands. Let's join and roll up our sleeves. So my final slide to you. My final slide to you. This is our time. I started by saying what we do ripples through generations. The environment in the womb now will influence whether that person, when they're an adult, will have coronary artery disease. Look up Barker's work if you don't know that work. What we do and say will ripple through generations. So it's our time now. And for every student midwife that's listening, junior or senior, do we do nothing? Do we do little? Do we do our best or do what's right? And from where I'm sitting, I think, that we are being our best, we are doing our best, and we are absolutely doing what's right. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Jackie. Uh, tremendous sort of rallying uh, cry for for people in a week when, as you mentioned, you know, headlines and things have continued to be pessimistic, and uh, sometimes the narrative has been negative. Uh, But nonetheless, when you look at the achievements of keeping the service going, keeping people safe and delivering. It really has been uh, a monumental effort over the past uh, 20 months. And uh, finally, to say thank you to all our speakers. And I think we've got some photographs uh, that people have sent in from around the country. Here we go. So thanks very much, and here's the pictures.